Shalom and welcome to Heretics Standing at Sinai, a podcast for those in or adjacent to the Jewish community who are searching for a place to deepen their spirituality without sacrificing their rationality. I am Rabbi J. Tel Rav, and each week we will have a conversation about new ways to exist in the world as an intentional presence and ways of making our lives mean something. Whether you've been exploring Jewish spirituality for years, or this is your first time considering it, we're glad you're here. It's been a while since I returned to explain the format and the approach of this podcast, and a few folks who've begun listening recently have asked me to review how this works. Rabbi Rami Shapiro wrote a book called Open Secrets a number of years ago that we've been using. It describes a relationship between two fictitious 19th century characters, one of them a rabbi and the other his student, who are corresponding with each other through letters. Each week we read a letter and we discuss the implications of what the rabbi is teaching his student. The book is a modern presentation of a form of Jewish mysticism called non-dual Judaism. And this podcast has been my effort to explore this set of teachings with you. Non-duality teaches that there is no other being up there in the sky watching us and making decisions about our lives. There is no supernatural explanation for the universe. Reality is amazing enough, and the explanations that we require are all readily available to us. And this we call God. God is the sum total of the universe, not outside it, not other than it. There is no place where I stop and God begins. The universe spinning and expanding, and everything, everywhere, everyone, and every now is an expression of that divine reality. It is all an expression of action an action that I call God. We've looked at what this idea would suggest about reality in our previous chapters, and this week, we're going to move on to the topic of Israel. But I think it's important to have a little background here on Israel before we get into it. Of course, the Jewish Bible teaches that God gave that specific strip of land to this one specific tribe of people at that one specific moment in history, and for all time, it is ours, even if we didn't have the ability to live there. For most of 2,000 years, the dream of returning to that land was expressed in our ritual moments, our prayer services, our poetry, and our art. It was attached to the messianic end of times, when God would decide that it was time and would take us back, known as the ingathering of the exiles. In the 1800s, as anti-Semitism was reaching a fever pitch through the pogroms of Eastern Europe, and as Theodore Herzl was witnessing the harsh limitations of emancipation, we began to host conversations about returning to the promised land, the mythical land of Zion, a place where Jews could govern themselves without being resident aliens. Zionism was the earthly and political movement 
to realize that plan in the location administered as a British territory and known at that time as Palestine. In that the religious community taught that it should be God who made that decision, there was great division amongst the Jews about this movement. The argument of some was that it should not be the human's choice to return to the promised land. That is God's decision, and it should happen only on God's command. And it is within that backdrop that today's letter is presented. My dearest Aaron Herschel, your letters bring such nachas to me. Your adventures in America are, of course, interesting, but it's your resolve to make time for Torah that gives me the greatest joy. When I hear people cluck their tongues and speak of the end of Yiddishkeit in America, I'll always tell them about you. Because of you, I have much hope for all our people who seek a new life in that world. So how ironic that with all your success in the new world, you write to me of the ancient world of Israel. Yet I must keep this letter short. I'm not feeling well. Nothing serious, I trust, but enough to make thinking hard and writing harder. But if I do not respond to you now, I'm afraid too much time will pass and the rhythm of our conversation will suffer. So you ask about Israel. We already talked about who is a Jew, and that should have been the same as who comprises the people Israel. But you want to talk about the so-called heresy of Zionism. Do you remember Alexander Krupchik? He and his family were Zionists. They moved to Palestine. Shmuel Felder, too. And Razel Sistkind. Maybe they'll find partners there. Maybe they'll find each other there. Stranger things have happened. I've read a bit about Zionism and heard a speech or two. What do I think? I don't know enough to have an informed opinion, but what is a rabbi without some opinion? So I will have an opinion and share it with you. Do I think Jews should rebuild Israel without waiting for Messiah? No. And yes. That's a good opinion, don't you think? Now, what do I mean? No. Jews should not return and rebuild Palestine without seeing themselves as embodying the messianic hopes and dreams of our people. The Messiah is to return us to Israel for what purpose? So that we can be an or lagoyim, a light to the nations of the world. We are charged with creating the perfect society, justice and compassion for all. If our Zionist brothers and sisters hope to build a homeland that is without this messianic mission and light, then I would say that it's not enough. Yes, I understand that if we had our own land, we could leave the pogroms behind, and I would be the last person to discount the good in that idea. Yet I would argue, assuming anyone would bother to ask, that a Jewish state without the messianic spark in the hearts of its people and the messianic challenge at the heart of its government would be no less a diaspora from what we Jews are supposed to be than any small village in Russia. So that is my opinion, no. Now, to my opinion, yes. Yes, they should not wait for a Messiah to come from among us and work magic. 
We've had such messiahs before, and we rejected them all. Remember Yemen in the days of Maimonides? They had a messiah. They wrote to Rambam and asked him how they could know if this was the messiah. He suggested that the fellow do some miracle. He agreed to cut off his head with a sword and then pick it up and replace it on his neck, good as new. And he almost succeeded. And Rabbi Akiva, may his memory be for a blessing. Did he not have his Messiah, Bar Kochba? And did not the Jews of Turkey follow the false Messiah, Shabtai Svi? We have had and will continue to have Messiahs. The question is, which, if any, are real? The one who succeeds, that one is real. The one who gathers up our people, leads them home to Jerusalem, helps them create a government that is indeed an or legoim, a light to the nations, and opens the hearts of our people to God, this one I will call Mashiach, Messiah. So let us see if Messiah is among the Zionists. If they do what our messianic hope asks of them, then there was no need to wait for a Messiah. They were Messiah themselves. The proof is in the product. So I say this, let them reclaim and rebuild our homeland. If at least they make a sanctuary for us Jews, they should be praised. If at most they pave the way for the redemption of the world, who is to criticize? I wish them and you well, my son. And do not think you need keep your own feelings a secret. I can tell from your letter you think of yourself as a Zionist, and I am proud of you. Bishalom. So there you have it. Reb Yerachmiel's feelings about the creation of Israel. That must have been in about the 1800s, probably around 1880, if I had to guess. And it would still be another 65 years before Israel would be established as the modern state for the Jews. And another 75 years after that, you'd find us celebrating the country's birthday as we did last month. What an incredible journey this young country has already undertaken. It has seen a disproportionate number of patents and startups and Nobel Prize winners and makes us proud at every turn. The discussion, the debate, and the division, however, that Israel stimulates within my Jewish community is remarkable. How interesting that the idea of Israel is so central to the conversation of modern Judaism. We've made a place for ourselves and a name for ourselves here in America, and one might think that American Jews would forget about our brothers and sisters in Israel. And yet, Israel remains front and center in the news cycle almost constantly. The power that our community has leveraged in Washington has ensured that this tiny democracy can rely on the backing of the one superpower left in the world. But govern governing a country is never easy. Anti-Semitism has, of course, waxed and waned over the decades, but has never disappeared. The United Nations has never been a friendly place to the Jewish state. Israel's neighbors have waged constant struggle against the Zionist entity. And as an outgrowth of those defensively fought wars, we found ourselves the stewards of a great number of non-Jewish residents and territories that we now administer 
There are so many facets and complexities to the dynamic of this country. And after living there for three and a half years, what I learned about it was that I barely understand the surface. How much more so than for the Jewish community in America to think that we have the answer for Israel? I do know that I resonate very, very powerfully with the way Rabbi Shapiro articulates his position in the book. I too feel that the creation of a modern state of Israel that will simply sink to the behavioral norms of other modern nations feels like an empty success. Our Torah has guided our sense of right and wrong through core messages about treating the most vulnerable with care and compassion. If I had to distill all of Torah down to one sentence, it would be, care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, because you yourselves were strangers in a strange land. If that is the essence of Judaism as I think it is, how then can we rationalize the iron grip that Israel has placed around the neck of the Palestinians living in the contested territories? How can we say that we live by Torah when we're responsible for creating such human suffering? Lately, I've been trying on a new way of articulating my feelings on the matter. Let me try and share it with you. If Zion is the Jewish people's mythical land, almost a utopia, in it we recognize sufficient resources for all to live with dignity. Zion emphasizes the teaching that all humans are created in the divine image, and that, of course, will lead to the most holy forms of living. Like Reb Yerachmiel in the book, I believe that this is what Israel must be if we are to proudly look at ourselves in the national mirror. For us to simply point at other nations and say, but what about them? China, Russia, Iran, Turkey, Venezuela, the United States, they all have dramatic sins and human rights violations on their report card. And to simply say that Israel is a nation among nations and should be expected to behave no differently is, I think, an unreasonably low bar. I believe that we are capable of more, and I demand such in my support of Israel. In other words, I am a Zionist, but what I see in place today in the modern state of Israel is not Zion. Having said all that, I also think that we run the risk of another conundrum. On the one hand, I worry about Israel being a litmus test for loyalty in the Jewish community. I remember one time in Denver when a congregant came to my study and sat with me saying that she had found my name on a list of rabbis who made up the rabbinic council of J Street, a pro-Israel, pro-peace lobby group. I confirmed that yes, I was on the rabbinic advisory council. And she said that this broke her heart and that as much as she liked me, she was going to need to take me off of her prayer list. She felt that I was a traitor to the state of Israel and the Jewish people because I supported the country in a different way than she did. We can't allow Israel to tear the Jewish people apart. But on the other hand, I worry that we also run the risk of turning our attention away from Israel too completely. At Temple Sinai, there's not a great 
hunger for or request to engage with matters of Israel. Our people are deeply focused on acts of social justice, learning, spirituality, all sorts of exercises here at home as their expressions of meaningful Judaism. But by and large, Israel doesn't play a huge role in that Jewish identity. It's said that Judaism stands on three things, like a three-legged stool, on God, on Torah, and on Israel. In other words, you can't remove any one of the three and still be a healthy Jewish community. You must cultivate a sense of spirituality and divinity, the God part, in order to sanctify you and lift you to your highest potential in life. You must emphasize learning, the wisdom of our people, in other words, Torah, and this will point you in the right direction for personal growth. And finally, you have to recognize that Israel, as an entity, represents your Judaism. Whether you like it or not, the world will judge us on how we administer that strip of land. And done so without God and Torah, we're at risk of descending into the idolatry of average, run-of-the-mill nationalism. And so, as I bring this exploration of Zionism to a close, I would make one pitch. At the same time, as you cultivate your spiritual side and your intellectual side, don't forget nor neglect your national responsibilities. Whether you live there or not, you are a member of the people, Israel. That place is as much a reflection of you as it is ancient Jewish history. I'm really glad that you've spent this time with me this week. You may have noticed that I missed two weeks of episodes. And the truth is that I was having a hard time finding interviewees. If you're hearing this right now, it means that you've hung on and you still find this podcast engaging. It also means you would be a great voice to join me for a conversation. I promise I'll make it easy. I do hope you'll reach out and let me know you're interested. You can click below for a transcript of today's conversation, where you'll also find some links to other material. Each week, I leave you with something to think about for the upcoming episode. And next time, we're going to be discussing the idea of intermarriage. So, my question is, what's your reaction when you hear that word? What's your own experience with it? And what does it bring up for you? And finally, stay tuned for a big announcement on our next episode. I'm very excited about it. If you enjoyed this and you want to be notified of new episodes as they come out, you can click on the subscribe button and be sure to share the idea with others that you know are going to enjoy exploring spirituality in this way as well. And until next time, all you heretics out there, stand proud. <laughs>